Good morning, my friend. I hope you're doing well. It is Saturday morning, 3 December 2022. We are in dry December, and I don't know what that means for you, but I hope that you've joined us. If you haven't, hey, two days of grace, we're ready to start today, okay? Ready to start today. We're going to grab on to that Isaiah 43, 18, and 19 promise that we're going to forget the former things. We're going to stop looking back and tripping ourselves up over stuff we can't do anything about. And we're going to grab onto this idea that he says, I am doing a new thing. I'm going to make streams in the wilderness. I'm going to make a way where there is no way. And friend, we're going to finish this year strong. We're not going to coast to a finish. We're going to finish strong. And we are going to embrace everything that God has for us for next year. Okay, it's self-brain surgery Saturday. And I'm going to warn you in advance. I've got like a million things bouncing around in my head. And I, I haven't sat down to try to write out how these things are going to connect. So this episode may ramble a little bit. <laughs> I've just got a couple things I want to try to get out. I've been reading uh, an incredible book called Forgive by Timothy Keller. Not done with it by any means, but I've got a couple thoughts out of there. Um, I have a post from Instagram that's kind of rattling around in my brain. I've got some legal um, definitions that have been kind of bouncing around and and they feel like they're going to connect um there's an old john piper devotional and all of this stuff as i've been um working on the typesetting edit we're, we're in the middle of the very last little tiny bits of typesetting and all of that stuff with the publisher for my new book hope is the first dose and and so what happens is after the author has written the manuscript and sold it to the publisher and after the publisher has gone through it with the acquiring editor we did all these back and forth edits and they would say hey i read this sentence and it didn't make sense to me and we tightened all these things up and we and agreed on the length of the manuscript and removed a few things and added a few things and all that big stuff happened then there's what they call a copy edit where they go through and make sure there's no typos and they like the punctuation and they make sure another um, person does a, a fact edit and a legal edit where we didn't quote too many lines of somebody's song we had to reach out to a a publisher to get permission to use some lyrics and all that kind of stuff that'll keep you from getting in trouble. Do you have this person's permission to use their name and all that kind of stuff. And so all those big things have happened. And now it's time to get the book ready to send it to the printer and they do a, what they call a typesetting. So they have these designers that get involved and they we go back and forth on how do you do page breaks and what kind of little symbol do you put in between paragraphs when you want to change the, the subject and you know, all these all these little things that are going to make it turn out to be how does the book look on paper. And that produces one last edit before we send it to the printer because then it gets real expensive to make any changes after that. So now we're in this little thing where it's been two or three months since I've read the book as a book, right? So all I've been doing for the last few months, and Lisa and Kathy Helmers, our, our agent, and Susan Jaden, the editor, with all these people from Penguin Random House – have been doing all these these nitpicky little things. And so now I've got the document in a new form set as it's going to go to the printer with all the fonts and, and how it's going to lay out on the page. And now it says, now they say, take a weekend and read the book. Just read it and make sure nothing jumps out at you, that that you didn't leave something hanging, you, that you wrapped up all your stories, that there's not any little things here and there that, that are mistakes that would trip somebody up and that there's not any final little things that we need to fix before we print this thing and turn it into a real book in somebody's hand, right? So we've been doing all that. And in the process of doing that, 
I've I've had enough space between when I wrote it and now that I'm reading it. And one chapter in particular just hit me right between the eyes as something I needed to remember uh, in my life right now. There's a chapter called The Happification of Hopeful Souls. And I made up a word. I don't think I made it up, but somebody made up a word. And somewhere along in my life, I encountered this word, happification, which is like the verb form of how do you become happy? How do you happify your life? And I wish I knew who gave me that word because I would love to give them credit for it because it was an epiphany for me. I'm sure that I didn't make it up, but, but I wrote a chapter called The Happification of Hopeful Souls. And I want you, my friend, to become a hopeful soul. If you're a person who struggles with ennui or difficulty finding the positivity or the finding the happiness in your life, then I don't mean just that I want you to be artificially happy or artificially hopeful. I mean, I want you to, to have a process, a treatment plan, an ability to find hope and look for light no matter what you're going through, because that's how you grab on to Jesus' promise that he can give you abundance in the midst of the thief trying to steal and kill and destroy your life. Because that's the whole game, right? How do we find joy, peace, and happiness so that we can adorn the truth, help other people find the light, and find it ourselves, and get through this difficult life to find that yes and amen at the end, well done, my good and faithful servant that we want? How do we find all that? Well, it takes self-brain surgery, and that's why I'm here on Self-Brain Surgery Saturday to talk to you today. So I've got all this stuff bouncing around in my head. Uh, It started with an Instagram post. There's an Instagram user named Alicia Martin. E-L-E-E-S-H-A-M-A-R-T-I-N is the username. Alicia Martin. Don't know her from Adam. Somebody sent me this post, and it says this. Very simple. Instead of saying, Lord, I don't know how I'm going to do this, say instead, Lord, I can't wait to see how you do this. This is a brain surgery right here. Instead of saying, Lord, I don't know how I'm going to do this, you say, Lord, I can't wait to see how you do this. That is a self-brain surgery shift. We're going to talk about a procedure called nerve ablation. And today, the self-brain surgery operation that I think I'm going to be able to pull together out of all these disparate sources is one that we're going to call ablate self-advocacy. Ablate self-advocacy. We're going to do that because it's going to help us be more resilient, help us embrace the promises of God, help us overcome a major lie that society is trying to tell us all right now. And the good news is Lisa is going to tell us how to start today. Hey, are you ready to change your life? If the answer is yes, there's only one rule. You have to change your mind first. And my friend, there's a place where the neuroscience of how your mind works smashes together with faith and everything starts to make sense. That place is called self-brain surgery. You can learn it and it will help you become healthier, feel better, and be happier. And the good news is you can start today. Thanks, Lisa. Hey, so glad to have you listening today. I'm Dr. Lee Warren, and I live in Nebraska in the United States of America with my incredible wife, Lisa, my father-in-law, Tata, and the super pups, Harvey and Lewis. I'm a neurosurgeon and an author, and I'm here to help you harness neuroscience, the power of your brain, faith, the power of your spirit, and good old common sense to help you lead a healthier, better, happier life. Listen, friend, you can't change your life until you change your mind, and I'm here to help you learn the art of self-brain surgery to get it done if you like the show. Please subscribe so you never miss an episode and tell your friends about it. If you tell two or three friends this podcast was helpful to you, imagine how much good we can all do around the world together. I'm Dr. Lee Warren, and I'm here to help you change your mind so you can change your life. Let's get after it. All right. Thanks, Lisa. Hey, listen, like I said, it's Self-Brain Surgery Saturday. Today we're doing a new operation. We're going to call it Ablate Self-Advocacy. What in the world, Dr. Warren? 
<laughs> what in the world, Lee, are you talking about? Sorry, I bumped into the microphone there. I'm drinking coffee. I'm tired. It's early on Saturday morning. Pitch black outside. The dogs are asleep. Lisa's still asleep. Didn't sleep very well last night because I had a few phone calls from the hospital. So I'm probably going to ramble. I, I, I don't understand why my crazy brain does this, but sometimes I, I have a whole week goes by. And there are just four or five things that I hear or run into or read or listen to, and they just start jumbling around in my head like the balls in a super lotto, one of those tumblers, the bingo tumblers where the balls are spinning around. And somehow it spits out a combination that starts to make sense. And let me just give you this, okay? There's a procedure, did it twice this week. That's a, a procedure that's just been FDA approved since January of last year. And the procedure's called, you ready for this? It's a really big doctor word, percutaneous radiofrequency ablation of the basivertebral nerve. Percutaneous radiofrequency basivertebral nerve ablation. We call it BVNA for short, basivertebral nerve ablation. The basivertebral nerve, it turns out, is a tiny little nerve inside your vertebrae, the, the backbone, the bones of your spine are called vertebrae, right? So the basivertebral nerve is a little tiny nerve inside the vertebrae. And it was discovered several years ago that the basivertebral nerve is the nerve that transmits impulses from your vertebral bodies to your spinal cord and up to your brain that tell you when you have back pain. And so it turns out that for years, surgeons have treated low back pain by thinking that the disc was degenerated and that the degeneration of the disc was the source of the back pain. So when we have, and I'm not talking about people with ruptured discs or pinched nerves or spinal stenosis or instability or all the other things that can cause back and leg pain that we have to sometimes treat with spinal fusion surgery or decompression surgery. That's how I make my living. Okay, the large precision, large percentage of what I do involves treating disorders of the intervertebral disc and the spinal canal and the neural foramen and things that cause pinched nerves and sciatica and back pain and lumbago and all those things that you've heard of and may have dealt with yourself. But there is a group of people that have back pain 24-7. They hurt all the time. So common, it's the, the most common cause of missed days of work, most common cause of ER visits, low back pain, right? It's just, it's a chronic thing for many people and they suffer. And the problem is for all these years, we've thought that degenerative disc disease was the primary culprit, was the diagnosis that was causing the low back pain. And so when we didn't have any other options, surgeons would remove the disc and replace it with a cage or bone graft or something and put screws in the bone above and below the disc to eliminate the motion. We used to think that micro motion across the disc was the source of the back pain. And that that caused all these inflammatory changes that we saw in the vertebrae and that that was the problem. If we could eliminate that micromotion by fusing the segment, then it would stop moving and therefore it would stop hurting. And so we had this, this whole long history of treating back pain by operating on the disc. So, and that worked. I mean, it does work most of the time. If you are really, really careful, and if, you're, if you've ever been one of my patients or one of my colleagues, or if you work around me in the real world in any sense, you know that I'm probably the most conservative. I'm certainly the most conservative surgeon I've ever encountered in terms of when do we apply spinal fusion when the problem is back pain. It's easy to understand when we need to apply spinal fusion when there's a fracture and something unstable or when the procedure is going to destabilize the patient. But when do we apply spinal fusion? I am super conservative with that. And therefore, because I'm so selective in who I choose to offer that procedure to, I've had really good results and outcomes. And I'm blessed to have had a really a good career with, with mostly good outcomes. But you know, if you've been around people that have back pain, there's a lot of people that have back surgery that don't get better. We even have a diagnosis, a, a term for that. It's called failed back surgery. Surgery syndrome. 
right? You know somebody probably in your world that's had multiple back surgeries or had a fusion and then had another fusion and then had another fusion. And the reason that happens is because when you put hardware in somebody's back, it puts stress on adjacent levels and those levels then become a little more stressed and there's a higher incidence, not everybody, but there's an increased risk that they might need additional surgery down the road. That's why you're so con- you need to be so conservative before you start putting hardware in people's body. Okay. That said, we've had all these years where we thought the disc was the source of the pain. And a few years ago, somebody discovered that the basivertebral nerve actually transmits painful impulses, not from the disc, but from the bone. And on MRI, you can see that a lot of people have these inflammatory changes in their vertebrae that are called modic changes. Now, modic was a doctor who discovered these inflammatory changes. And then they did all this research and they found out that the, the vertebral body inflammation was not because of what was happening at the disc, but it was just inflammation like you can have in any other part of your body in the vertebral body that was transmitting these painful impulses via the basic vertebral nerve to the brain to say, hey man, my back hurts. Okay. Long story to say, that somebody figured out that you can put an electrode through the skin and into the vertebral body and you can cook, was the procedure that we called ablation, you can pr- perform an ablation to burn those little vertebral nerves and they won't hurt anymore. And in a huge number of cases, we can reduce low back pain by 75 or more percent of the time of the of the pain and people report after this 15 minute outpatient procedure where they don't have to have screws and rods and they don't have to have their disc removed and they don't have to have a big incision and all this healing time and missed days of work and narcotics and physical therapy and all that stuff they just get this ablation procedure and their back stops hurting so it's been kind of miraculous we've been doing it in nebraska for a little while now and we're having amazing results and i'm just amazed at how the difference in between how these people look post-operatively, they go home in a little bit and they call the next day, they have zero on their pain score. They, I mean, people that have had back pain for 20 years that used to have 8 out of 10 or 10 out of 10 pain, now they have zero at 2 weeks and 6 weeks and 8 weeks and 3 months. It's amazing. So my point of all that is, is to say this. Sometimes the problem is that we treat a pain syndrome in our life, we treat a problem in our life with the wrong surgery – and therefore, we may get some improvement, but we don't get the degree of improvement that we would like. And the improvement that we get comes at the cost of having some other things happen. So in the setting of a spinal fusion surgery, if the problem is the vertebral body and our incomplete understanding led us to thinking that the problem was the disc and we fuse the disc, we may improve the back pain, but we may also create some additional trouble. And the improvement in the back pain that we get may not be as complete or as full as the improvement that we would have gotten if we had ablated the nerve in the vertebral body, which was the actual source of the pain in the first place. So nerve ablation can sometimes be helpful in reducing pain perceived by the actual problem instead of applying a much more invasive procedure to treat indirectly the problem from a different different direction. Does that make sense? Okay, so here's why I'm thinking about that today. There is a passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians 1, the whole context is, we actually did an episode about this uh, despairing of life itself passage. So so up in verse 8, Paul said, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure 
far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. But this happened so that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and He will deliver us again. On Him we have set our hope that He will continue to deliver us. You hear what He's doing here? He's saying, God, I don't know how to do this. Instead, He's saying, God, I can't wait to see how you do this. He is setting his hope on God who has delivered him before that he'll deliver him again. Now, I say that to go further down in 2 Corinthians. Here's what we're going to do today. Down in 2 Corinthians, uh, this is chapter 1, verse 17, he's saying, Was I fickle when I intended to do this? He had just told him he wanted to come to visit and he wasn't able to and all this stuff had happened. And he said, I wasn't fickle in a worldly manner. I don't make plans like the world does so that in the same breath I say both yes and no. So Paul's saying, when the world makes plans, when people in the world say things, sometimes we sort of say yes and no in the same breath. Yeah, I'll do this as long as this. Yeah, I want to do that, but I can't, but I have to say no. Yeah, I want to try this, but I'm not sure. Yes, I'm going to quit doing that, but but I really need it today. I'll start tomorrow, right? That's Paul's saying, I don't make plans in a worldly manner and in the same breath say yes and no. Here's verse 18. But as surely as God is faithful, our message to you is not yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, by me and Silas and Timothy, was not yes and no. He's saying Jesus doesn't ever give you a two-handed compliment. Jesus doesn't ever give you a two, a double-tongued promise. He doesn't say yes and no. He doesn't qualify things. But in him, it has always been yes. Here's verse 20. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Now it is God who makes both of us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Jesus, he says, is the yes to every promise that God has made. And here's what I want to talk about today, friend. Here's what I want to talk about today. You've got to get rid of yes and no in your life. You've got to get rid of yes and no. And you've got to start making the right diagnosis to the source of your troubles and start applying the right surgery if you want to have the best outcome. Okay? Stay with me. Stay with me. I heard this week about a guy who is defending himself, or not defending, he's representing himself in a legal matter. He has decided... That and this is not somebody that we know personally, but I just heard this story and it's it's pretty crazy. But this person's in the middle of a federal lawsuit against a bunch of other people, and he's representing himself. He's decided that he doesn't need a lawyer. Now, if you've ever watched any kind of court dramas or legal, you know, TV shows or any of that, they always say only a fool represents himself. It's crazy to represent yourself. Why? Because lawyers know the law better than you do. Lawyers understand how courts work better than you do. Lawyers understand evidentiary matters and all those things better than we do. I mean, I'm a neurosurgeon. I'm a pretty smart guy, but I'm not a lawyer. And If I needed a lawyer, I would hire a lawyer. And why am I saying that? Well, I've been reading this book. (laughs) I've been reading this book by Timothy Keller called Forgive. And in that book, he quotes... Um, an old sermon by Charles Hodge that was delivered way back in 1861 at a seminary in Princeton. And he talks about how in First John 2, 
uh, verse 1, that John says, if we sin, we need to remember that we have an advocate with the Father, advocate or lawyer, uh, rep- somebody representing us before God. If we sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one, right? So he, he paints this picture of, of thinking about yourself in court, that your whole life is in court and you're dealing with God and you're on trial, essentially, and you have an advocate. And the advocate that you have is the most perfect mind, the, the most brilliant legal mind, because he is the law. He is the word. He's God's son. He's a perfect advocate for us because he can stand before God, truly righteous, never having sinned. He's got the whole deal. He's got the whole world in his hand, and he's standing up, John says, as our advocate, right? So imagine, Jesus is radiant. He's beautiful. He's spotless. He's the fairest among 10,000. He is standing before God, and he says, hey, friend, Hey, Brian, hey, Lola, hey, Lisa, hey, Tata, hey, Lee, hey, Karen, hey, David. I've got you. I'm going to represent you. Now, imagine, imagine, Timothy Keller writes, that you're in court with Jesus as your lawyer, and he's about to speak on your behalf, and you you put your arm out and and block his mouth, and you say, wait, I got this, Jesus. Let me advocate for myself here. I'm going to go per se here, uh, pro se. I'm going to take over, and I'm going to represent myself. Jesus is literally sitting right there, the most brilliant lawyer ever. We've got a friend named Lena Muller. Lena, fortunately, I've never had to go to court with Lena. But if I did, if I needed to go to court, I would hire her because everybody says, everybody that knows Lena says she's the best. She's absolutely the best in her area of what she does in law, that there's nobody better than her, and she's the she's the one. She's the person who you would want at your side. So imagine if I had some kind of legal situation, and I hired Lena, and she went to court with me, and she had all the whole case, and she's like, Lee, I've got it. I've taken a look at everything. You've got a perfect case. I'm going to be able to get you through this. It's going to be okay. We're going to win this deal. Just don't open your mouth, okay? These other lawyers are going to say things that will trick you. They're going to mislead you. They're going to try to get you to say something that will be incriminating, and, and you're you're going to be okay if you just let me handle it. Now, imagine if we went to trial and Lena was about to, to speak and the judge asked her a question and she stood up to give the perfect thing that was going to get me out of this situation and I just pushed her aside and said, Lena, you know, I've decided to take care of this on my own. I'm going to handle this. I know what's best for me. I'm, I know my own truth and I'm going to handle this and I don't need your help. Wouldn't that be stupid? And that's what Keller is saying this is exactly what we do with Jesus sometimes. Jesus has all the answers. Paul said he's the yes to every one of God's promises to our life. And yet, somehow, we still think that we are responsible for advocating for ourselves in this world. Why am I talking about all this stuff today? Well, we had Elisa Childers on the show recently with her book, Everything, um, Finding My Truth and Other Lies, right? Find Your Truth and Other Lies. This idea that, that the society today is telling us that we need to find our own truth, that we need to find our own way, that we did, that the secret to happiness is improving ourselves and making sure everybody notices us and making sure everybody, um, you know, repays us for all the wrongs that are done against us and that we have reparation and that we have notice and that we have a seat at the table in every situation and that, that, that everybody owes us something and that we have to find our own way. We have to find our own truth. We have to advocate for ourselves. And everybody's going to therapy these days, and the therapists are teaching everyone, you've got to fight for yourself. You've got to live your own truth. You've got to see it. Make everybody see that your, your way is the way, that you, you, you can live out your own destiny, right? 
I'm just here to tell you this morning, friend, that that's applying the wrong operation to a misdiagnosis of why you're not happy in your life. I just want to tell you, the promise that God made that in this world you're going to have trouble, John 16, 33, was met and matched and exceeded by his promise that he's going to overcome the world and his promise in John 10, 10, that the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy your life. But he has come that you might have life and have it abundantly. There's a yes there when the thief wants to tell you no. So you remember, whether you're a spiritual person or not, even if you don't believe that there's a literal devil who's out there trying to mess your life up, if, if you just look at life in general, you will see that there's a lot of challenges and hard things in life and that your baseline neurological state in your brain is set to such that you are going to find the negative and you're going to focus on the negative and you're going to have all this stuff bouncing around your head. And if you don't learn how to operate on it and apply the right diagnosis and treatment to it, you'll spin out into this worst-case scenario or doom and gloom or you'll fall down into this path of why is my life so hard and why does it always feel so bad and why doesn't anybody blah, 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 why didn't I get a Christmas card? All those things will happen, right? Unless you learn to let Jesus be the yes to every promise that's been made on your behalf. John Piper wrote a, a beautiful devotional about this years ago and covers this whole ground in First Corinthians chapter or Second Corinthians chapter one about how Jesus is the yes to every promise. And it's interesting because he he basically takes that idea and says, Paul's heart is not divided toward you. I'm, I'm sorry, Paul, Paul is saying, my heart is not divided toward you because God's heart is not divided toward you. If you belong to Christ by faith, then everything God could possibly give you for your good, he has already signed over to your account in Christ. You hear the same answer at every point. Is this promise in my account? Yes. Is that promise in my account? Yes. Is this blessing in my account? Yes, yes, yes. All the promises of God are yes in Christ. And friend, that is the super secret to finding your way. Yes, it's true. You can live your truth, okay? You can fight for yourself and advocate for yourself all you want. And if you're smart enough and you work hard enough and you're willing to be belligerent enough to fight for yourself at every turn, you can make yourself a little happier. I mean, Dan Harris has made probably 10 or more million dollars off of his book, 10% Happier. And his whole idea is just learn how to control your thinking and learn how to put a little pause in there and meditate a little bit and then fight for yourself and, and you'll work it out and you'll be a little happier. And that's great. That's all you need is a little bit happier. I'm just here to tell you, I've seen thousands of people with back pain in my life, friend. And I've seen, I've operated on thousands of them. And I've done lots of spinal fusion surgery. And I've been very selective with my patients. And I've had really good outcomes. But if you take somebody who's had big interventional spine surgery with pedicle screws and lumbar fusion, and you talk to them a year, two years, five years after surgery, the best case, most of those people will tell me at one year and two years and five years and 10 years, yeah, I'm better. I'm so much better. I'm better. I don't have as much pain, but I'm a little stiff. And yeah, I can't quite do the same things I used to be able to do. And I've had to modify how I lift things. And, and it's, you know, it's changed my life a little bit. And some of those people will say, yeah, I had another surgery two years later. I had had, had another level fuse because the level above or below the fusion broke down. And so sometimes the, the procedure results in having to have another procedure in a few years. And, and even if you do everything just right and select the patients perfectly, there's still a group of people who just aren't, they're just not perfect. The interesting thing is if you look at the five-year data on the vasovertebral nerve ablations for these people that have vertebrogenic back pain, that that's their real problem. 
at five years, they're reporting zero, one, and two on their pain score. Yeah, they're fixed. Okay. The problem has been solved. They're not 10% happier. They're just happy. They're, they're fixed. So the, the point is that when the proper diagnosis is made and the proper treatment plan is applied to that diagnosis, then you get the best possible outcome. Is it perfect? No, nothing's perfect because there's always other pain generators and other things, other situations out there, right? But if you find this idea that you don't have to be your own advocate because you have the best attorney that there has ever been, the one who knows everything. I'm sorry, but Jesus is a better lawyer than Lena Muller is. Okay, He knows more about how to advocate for me in my life between me and the Father and how to help me avoid the lies of the enemy and all this nonsense that the world wants me to think that I need to fight for my own happiness and find my own truth. He knows more about that than Lena does. So if, 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 if I had to go to court in North Platte, I would want Lena to help me. But if I need to go to court in life to help me fight this enemy of mine who is bringing accusations against me and who is trying to steal and kill and destroy my life, I need to have the one who came here to give me abundant life, and I need to have the one who is my advocate before the Father. First John 2, 1. If you have sin, if you have a problem, if you have an issue, you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one, and he's going to say, hey, you are innocent. Because I gave my blood for you. And friend, I'm just here to tell you this morning that if you want to change the arc and direction of your life and break chains and set yourself free and find that stream in the desert and the new way and the new thing that God wants to do, you've got to stop thinking that you need to advocate for yourself. You've got to stop thinking that you need to set your own path in the world because the answer to the problems that you have is the yes that God's promises are for you. They are there for you. They will help you. They will work out for you. Not everything works out the way we want it to in life, but God is always good, and Jesus is always on your side. And if you set your brain on the idea that I will fight for hope, I will need to be happified. I need to stretch forth and find and flex those muscles of hope, which involve memory and movement, right? I'm going to remember like Paul did here in first and second Corinthians. I remember the times before when I despaired of life itself and he got me through it. And I know he's going to again, and I'm not going to approach this with yes and no. I'm not going to say, I will be faithful. As long as you do this, I will believe you as long as this circumstance happens. Because friend, if you believe that some circumstance has to occur before you'll be happy, here's the problem with self-advocacy. Here's the problem with it. When you, when you have to find your own truth and when other people have to acknowledge your truth and, and capitulate to your truth, the problem is there's never an end to it. It is a moving target that you will never be able to hit because there's not enough people to apologize to you. There's not enough people to say they were wrong and you were right. There's not enough people to say, you know what, I need to pay you back for this thing I did against you. There's not enough times that you were wronged that have been set right. There's not enough time left in the universe for everything to be set right for you to finally say, okay, now I've achieved it. Everything that's ever hurt me has been assuaged. Everything that I ever deserved has been given to me. Everything I think I ever earned, I've, I've had it given to me, and every opportunity, every door that was closed has been opened. You will never find yourself in a situation where you say, I don't need anything else. I'm finally happy. I've got all I need. Because the very next day, 
somebody will cut you off in traffic or somebody else will get promoted instead of you or somebody will die or somebody will leave or somebody will cheat or the diagnosis will be bad. And you'll find yourself in that situation where you say, why do I deserve this? God, why is my life always so hard? But if instead you apply the right diagnosis and you recognize your need for an advocate and you learn the procedure to oblate self-advocacy, you will finally Get yourself to the position where he can be yes for you because you can't be yes for yourself. That's the wrong diagnosis. And if you learn how to let him be yes for you, then you will finally, my friend, be able to start today. I'm going to play you a song from Brenton Brown, a song called Lead Me. I think it's a great way to finish this thought today. Just let's learn how to ablate self-advocacy. I think it'll be a great little operation that'll help us change our minds and change our lives as we get into dry December and start heading towards a wonderful 2023. Let's do this song for a second. Here we go. Lead me Lead me Lead me to the rock Lead me That's Brenton Brown. Um, I'm going to do the top five worship artists or worship albums episode before the end of the year, and Brenton Brown's on it, uh, so we'll, we'll get there. But that song, Lead Me to the Rock, the, the reason I played it for you this morning, friend, is we need to learn how to say when life is hurting and when I feel overlooked and overwhelmed and I don't know why everything's so hard all the time, the, the thing we need to do is not to say, I got this, I'm going to I'm going to get out there and make everybody see it my way. and I'm going to fight for myself. Or the other 
wrong response is to cover up the pain like patients sometimes do and just give into it and then spin down into this cycle of self-pity and and woe is me and I'm, i need to numb myself against all this so so there's two wrong responses just like there's sometimes wrong diagnoses and wrong treatment plans and surgery that sometimes produce decent results but not the way we want and sometimes produce disaster and bad complications and failure to improve and all those things the right answer is to say hey i need an advocate Jesus, lead me to the rock. Help me. And sometimes the answer is shut your mouth and let him talk to you for a while. Lena would reach over and say, Lee, stop. Don't don't say a word here. Let me take care of this for you. The, the advocate will solve the problem for you. And friend, aren't you tired of having to represent yourself? Aren't you tired of having to fight for yourself? Aren't you tired of being the same old, same old and carrying the same old trouble up the hill every day? Aren't you ready for God to keep that promise of doing something new in your life, well, it's almost the end of the year. Let's not coast into it. Let's grab it and get after it. Let's ablate self-advocacy, and let's start today. Hey, thanks for listening. Please subscribe to the show so you automatically get every episode. And if you like the show, you'll love my weekly letter. Check out my writing at drleewarren.substack.com, drleewarren.substack.com. Get the free newsletter every week for my best prescriptions for becoming healthier, feeling better, and being happier through the power of faith and neuroscience smashing together via self-brain surgery, drleewarren.substack.com. And if you need prayer, go to the prayer wall at wleewarrenmd.com slash prayer. The theme music for the show is Make Us One by Tommy Walker, graciously provided for free by the great folks over at tommywalkerministries.org. Check it out and consider supporting them, tommywalkerministries.org. Remember, you can't change your life until you change your mind. And the good news is you can start today. I'm Dr. Lee Warren. I'll talk to you soon. God bless you, friend. Have a great day.